This is Corolla Digital. Allison Rosen. Hey everyone, it's me, Allison Rosen. This week on Allison Rosen is your new best friend, I sat down with writer Anna David and we talked about drug addiction and getting sober, writing fiction versus nonfiction, tattoo removal, relationships, and then I learned that even if you think you know someone pretty well, there are things you still don't know about them. You had a tattoo on your face? Not like a tear thing. <laughs> but had... still, that's such a, usually people don't go for the face unless they are really... Insane. Yeah. What happened is one night this, this uh, fabulous gay guy who I was doing a lot of drugs with was doing my makeup. And I looked at him and I was really high and I was like, you're beautiful. He's like, no, I'm not really. I just have a tattoo of a birthmark right here. And it <laughs> makes me look really beautiful. I'm like, that's a great idea. I'm going to go get one. Yes, I did that. Subscribe to Allison Rosen as your new best friend on iTunes or go to AllisonRosen.com. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. I love you. Allison's your new best friend. From Level 5 City in Glendale, it's This Week with Larry Miller. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, and everyone who just loves to get across the street. Don't worry, I have no idea what that means either. Welcome back to This Week with Larry Miller. I'm Larry Miller, but in a way, aren't we all? And you know something? Again, that music makes me smile, and it's just so good. That theme song, found by Colonel Jeff years ago... And uh, you know what? It's just terrific. And, of course, they get better every week. That's, as you well know, that's the Jesse Hightower Orchestra and the Monica Esquibel Dancers featuring boy tenor Brett Sheen asking the musical question, Why is classical music called long hair? Well, you know something, Brett? That's a darn good question. It's a heck of a question. And that's a question that goes right to the heart of the matter. And uh, what I think it means is, uh, Colonel Jeff found that, and I think what it means is that in the days when that phrase first came up, probably around 1910, 1920, 1930, and in those times, for that 30, 40 years, I think all the really tough, interesting, cool guys in the world, in high school and in college, were wearing short hair. They had short, parted, slicked hair. Football players, wrestlers, baseball players, everyone, not just athletes, anyone who was on a debating team, anyone who was in anything, getting great grades and getting into colleges and going to do things, taking girls to the prom. I don't know how that image comes up, by the way, but after, after you talk about getting into a great college, and they had girls at a prom. Wow, that's almost too much. And uh, But it's true, I think they all had short hair, short, slick hair. Good-looking hair, but short, slick hair. And I think that at the time, all the folks who were studying classical music in high school and college and uh, playing in string quartets and, uh, and doing everything in that world, I think they enjoyed somehow, they didn't worry about their hair that much. They didn't worry about their hair as much as the athletes and all the politicians of the day. They didn't do anything, so they just let it grow, and they didn't care that it grew. 
and it kind of flopped around their ears and their eyes and maybe made them think they were Beethoven in a way. Everyone knows there's one image we all have of Beethoven, which is that especially the last 10, 15 years or so, he would uh, conduct there and the hair was flying all around and it was really, really long. Now, there may have been other reasons for that in his case, but never mind that now. The point is that I think in 1910 and 1920 and 1930 and all those years in between, I think everyone who studied classical music and really worked hard on it and really became good at it had, can we have that that wonderful drum roll, please, had long hair. I think they all had long hair. And I think that's what gave people the idea or the desire to call classical music long hair music. I could be wrong. Remember, that's the joy of our show here. Sometimes even I can be wrong. It's still just a theory. (laughs) The colonel and the doctor were just shaking their heads with comical expressions of no, no. Well, the colonel was doing that. The doctor is eating. So his, his face was a little different. And uh, in any case, though, it's a good question. Why is classical music called long hair music? I think that may be why. I think it could be an American name. I think it could be something that came out of that period of the first 30, 40 years of the 20th century. And I think the reason is that maybe those who studied classical music were intentionally distancing themselves from everyone who would, well, play great sports. They still have, even out here in restaurants, they still have, you know, where they, the number one football team in 1927 or 1933 would come out to, say, uh, well, one of the great steakhouses here, and they'd have, well, you know how it was if you were 19 or 20 and you were an offensive lineman, in 1960, rather 1930, chances were pretty good that if the waiter came over and said, would you like another giant piece of meat? The chances were pretty good. You'd say, yes, thank you. And you'd have another They, I remember they'd have pictures on the walls in this one steakhouse my wife and I used to go to. Well, we went there twice. And uh, they, that's because they'd have the picture on the wall of uh, so-and-so, the lineman, and so-and-so, the middle linebacker, and so-and-so, these big guys would have a lot of food. And I mean a lot. And not food that you or I could eat today. You or I might eat. We might eat. Maybe you could eat a lot of chicken wings. Or maybe you could have something like, well, McNuggets in, in McDonald's. Maybe you think of those, well, you could pop that in. You could chew it. Hey, that's pretty good. I'm not thinking of Paul Newman, by the way, eating the 50 eggs in an hour. That's kind of close, but those are bigger. You could pop it in. He popped them in. But that stomach does stretch a bit. That really, and they have to walk you around the room. And uh, in any case, though, I think that's what it is. Good question, Brett. Why is classical music called long hair? That may be why. If some of you, as always, know something different, please write us into our website, which I know because it's right on the screen. It's the LarryMillerPodcast.com, LarryMillerPodcast.com. Once again, that's LarryMillerPodcast.com, and that's our website. So please write us and say, no, it's called Long Hair because of blank. And, uh, yeah, maybe that's good. In fact, it's still a little weird today to me. Even the toughest football players we have, the greatest professional football players, sometimes you see really long hair 
every kind of hair, blonde, black, anything, and, it, and it's coming out of the helmet, or it's tied back, and it's really spraying down under the helmet. And I, 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 I think I want to say, you know what? Maybe you could get that cut now. How about now? In the in the, I have a feeling in the Vince Lombardi days that he would just say, if someone said to him, Coach, I'm thinking of not wearing a suit and a shirt and a tie on the bus to the next game. Really? Well, in that case, let us know how it was to hitchhike over there. So I, I have a feeling that if you had hair coming out of the helmet, Vince Lombardi would have said, you know what we're going to do, by the way, just before we pull out, is cut it. Now, don't worry about that. Don't worry about anything because we're going to cut it for you. In any case, uh, good question, Brett. And it's good to be back here, folks. And ting. That's right. Ting. That's right. And by ting. They really enjoyed us advertising for them, and we enjoyed doing it. And I want you guys to start really enjoying it, too, because it means, it means the world to us. This company, ting. That's right. One of the good names, by the way, because it's not that hard to know that name. What's the name of the company? Ting. They probably went uh, through like their own names to call it their own names. Yes, the Brett Farkas Company. No, you know, there's no need to do that. Just call, let's just call it Ting. And what this is, this is, by the way, it's a good group. It's so good, the Colonel and I, because my kids have phones and my wife has phones and uh, and I have a phone, and uh, they they have all their phones, so they don't have to talk to me. And that you know what they they could use something that makes it better and makes it cheaper. And the truth is, guess who does that? Ting. That's right, Ting. It's a mobile that makes sense. They they use the nationwide Sprint network. So if if, if you have great coverage with Sprint, you'll have great coverage with Ting. That's right, with Ting. And what you do, you want to go to Larry ting.com. That's pretty good. I don't have to say that any slower, do I? Go to larry.ting.com and uh, use their online savings calculator to find out how much lower your cell phone bill could be. So what you do is go to larry.ting.com and find out. It's a different kind of cell phone service company, which is frankly makes them sound great to me. There are no contracts. It's truly and completely contract-free, so there's no early termination fee, no bundling. Choose different levels for voice minutes, text messages, and megabytes of data. It's all billed separately, which you can find out by going to larry.ting.com. No overage charges or penalties. If you use more than you thought you would, you just pay for what you used. They don't bilk you. They don't charge you deep for things that you really didn't do. This is a classy company. I like them so far. And it's not just because they like me and they like us. It's not that at all. Okay, it's that. But you can find out how good they are by going to, remember, larry.ting.com. Boy, am I going to still be saying that in my head tonight when I sleep? Sure. There are unlimited devices on one plan with Ting. Unlimited devices. You share pooled minutes, messages, and megabytes. Each device on a plan costs a flat $6 per month. Now, that's pretty great. <laughs> Colonel Jeff is nodding, and Dr. Chris is still chewing. But... 
Credits on unused service. This is a good point. If you use less than you thought you would, Ting drops you down to the level you hit and credits the difference on your next bill. So whatever you got on your next bill, they do the right thing, and they keep themselves honest, and they and they always do you a favor with the money. There's a no add-on charges. Can you imagine that? No add-on charges. Voicemail, caller ID, tethering, hotspot, three-way calling, call forwarding, and other features are all part of the service. No mysterious items on your bill. Ooh, see? You know when they're mysterious like that? Maybe we can find something mysterious to put on there like that. No mysterious items on your bill. Excuse me, I'm wondering, do I get any mysterious? No! No mysterious items on your bill. Ting charges for what you used plus whatever taxes they're required to collect. No hidden charges, recovery fees, or other malarkey. And by the way... As you may be able to tell, that word malarkey was purposely put in by Colonel Jeff. There was another word, and it, and it, well, it was a curse. And Colonel Jeff said, we can do better than that for you. A word that would be good for Larry to say, like malarkey. So at any rate, and it's true, by the way, good choice. There's a no-hold customer support on this. Call them. That's what you need to do. Call them at one 855 Ting, F-T-W, anytime between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and a real person will pick up the phone. Isn't that amazing that that sounds great to all of us? Go to larry.ting.com. That's the point. You'll get $25 off your first device purchase or $25 in service credit if you bring your own device. Device? We can beat that word next time for the last word in the commercial. But that's Larry. Remember... As, as the colonel wrote in on the bottom of this, that's Larry.ting.com, Larry.ting.com, Larry.ting.com. That sounds like the old, the old Wonder, Wonderama show where you had to say things five times fast, like toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy boat, toy, toy boat. You see, it's not easy. It's not easy. Even I, who just spent the time saying Larry.ting.com, can't say toy boat five times. But these guys are good. And you know what? They'll be good for you and you'll be good for them. So I'm glad we're advertising for them. Give them a call and uh, at the number there or go on larry.ting.com. You'll find out everything you need to know. And then remember, you'll be, you know, the truth is you'll make your phones better and less expensive. And by Amazon. That's right, Amazon. We love Amazon because they were our first big sponsor. And they are still just a great thing to have on our side here. Amazon, Amazon, Amazon. As you know, you can get anything in the world on Amazon, anything you want, anything that comes into your head, you can get on Amazon, except, of course, with the exception of an actual Amazon. You cannot get one of them that's a tall, gorgeous, very muscular, sexy woman who's wearing kind of a South American Wonder Woman outfit. That's an Amazon. And remember, I've said this before, and I mean it every time. If, by chance, your Amazon goods are delivered by an actual Amazon, and if she's standing there in the door, do nothing. Invite her in, give her a cup of tea and a magazine to read, call us immediately. And the colonel, the doctor, and I will be out to take her off your hands, so to speak. And we will make sure she is honest and on the up-and-up, and she will make sure the same things of us. 
And then, of course, we'll let you know. But what you do is anything in the world you want, you go to Amazon. You go to Amazon. You go on your laptop or your computer and you go to Amazon.com, right? Wrong! You don't! You don't. That's the wrong thing to do. You never do that. You never go right to Amazon. Why? What you do is you go to our website, which, remember, is LarryMillerPodcast.com. So sad that I have to read it every time. You go to our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com, on which you'll see a banner that says Amazon. You click on that banner, and everyone's happy then, because that takes you right to Amazon, and then you get everything in the world you can ever think of, and Amazon makes money, and you get goods, and they send us part of the dough. That's the good thing. They send us a percentage of whatever you send then. So frankly, everyone is very happy then, including me and the doctor and and the colonel. So... Uh, do that. Go to uh, our website, LarryMillerPodcast.com, click the banner that says Amazon, and then get everything you want. We have a couple of great sponsors, and I am very pleased with that. And they're very pleased because this is the only show business where they can each get a 12-minute advertisement. And it's fun for me to do. And, well, the colonel and the doctor can chuckle along, too. So uh, thank you guys for that. Which... Brings us to our joke of the week. That's right, the joke of the week. The joke of the week. And this is the joke, and this is the week. And here it is, and it popped into my head today. It's been a long time since I thought of this one, and uh, the colonel liked it, and I think you will too. A guy dies and goes to heaven. Good start, good start for any joke, by the way, I think. I think you'll like this, this joke. Man passes away, but he dies and goes to, well, the conference room and the office. And he, doesn't, he hasn't gone upstairs or downstairs yet. He hasn't gone to heaven or to you know. And he instead he's sitting there and they say to him, an angel comes in and says, we're doing something new now and... Uh, you're one of the first folks we're going to use it with, and we're really happy with it. So what you do is, and, uh, and the angel hands him a tape and says, watch this. This is a film of anything you want. It's the film, and just tell us what, you watch the ones you want, and tell us where you want to go, and that's where we'll send you. He puts the first film in. It's really something. It looks great. It's men just like him sitting around a great swimming pool being fanned by beautiful women in with palm fronds, and they're all wearing bikinis, the women, that is. The men wearing bikinis, they, they didn't get as many customers as they thought. But the point is, they're all the, the fellows are sitting around in these lounge chairs, and they're drinking these great rum tropical drinks with things in them and umbrellas in them. Now, the place is loaded with umbrellas, and, and it looks great to them. And then they bring you by other things to eat and other drinks, and everyone's great. And the women are just gorgeous. And he immediately just says to the angel, he calls up and says, you know what, I'll take this one. I'm going here. This is great. I want to go to heaven. They, just give me that. And they do. The angel comes down says, all right, get in the elevator. Bam. Sends him down. Turns out she sends him to hell. He gets off the elevator, and it's hell. Anyone would know it's hell. It's the worst thing in the world. It's boiling hot. There are, you know, your skin is burned off. That's horrible. And, and you get to meet Satan, and he's, he's no sweetheart, and everything is painful, and it's just ugly and dark. And, 
and he's really upset. And the, the first after the first couple of days, he goes back to to their office and makes a phone call. Well, they're reasonable. They have phones and they have an office. And he calls back up to the angel and just says, "I have to tell you, I'm really upset. That this is you know, uh, this is horrible. This is hell. And and, and it's not at all." And and the the angel says, "Well, what did you see? What did you pick?" And he describes the gorgeous scene by the pool with the with the lounge chairs and the beautiful women in the bikinis and the angel says to him, oh, you saw the pilot. <laughs> I like that joke. And that's because the uh, last line in it is pilot. I think that really translates to everyone, even if uh, you have no idea what show business is or the way television shows are made. The first episode, the one that's sold, the one that studios and networks want to see and independent studios want to see is called the pilot. It's always been called the pilot. I think it certainly it was in the 50s, right? In the 70s or the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. They're still being made. It's a different system slightly, but that's the pilot is the one that people rewrite and rewrite and it argue. And that's one of the classic show business jokes it's the the classic is that uh well you know it didn't look like anything i saw oh that's right you saw the pilot so that's one of the reasons that joke really appeals to me that uh and i hope that guy got out of it by the way i hope that guy by knowing that he saw the pilot he could still say well can i see the others then because i don't think it's fair that i have to be down here because i just saw the pilot in any case that's a good way to blend into one of my favorite parts of the show, which is our poetry corner. That's right, the poetry corner. The corner of poetry. Because it's been a great pleasure for me. I always knew that if, if I had a job like this someday on television or radio or podcasting, something like this, that I would always want to bring poetry in it at some point. And that's what we do now once a week because it's a great way to think it's a great way to live. It's a great way to hear some of the most wonderful artists and writers and thinkers of all time and hearing the way they described life in great poetry really means a lot. We've had a chance to record many folks and uh, we're going to do it many times. And this week we've decided to go to Ovid, O-V-I-D, and he lived right around year zero and uh he was a Roman poet. He was born east of Rome from, as it says on his biography, he was born uh, in, boy, I just took my mind away. A really pretty girl just walked by the doors to the, to the studio. That's the thing about show business. You have to be on the, on the lookout for that. And I was. And someone should have yelled, Larry, look out. So anyway, gee, that's a, that's a funny thing. That's a classic thing in life. She walked by and I said, where am I and who cares? In any case, uh, so <laughs> Ovid is a great poet. And he was also at the time of some of the great folks like Homer who wrote so many things that were moving. And this by Ovid, I read it and uh, the colonel and I both liked it. It was a nice way to look at this, uh, look at a question of, uh, well, how does how does a fellow look at love? How does a fellow look at his life in that way. And it's by Ovid. It's called In Summer's Heat. And here we go. 
in summer's heat and mid-time of the day, to rest my limbs upon a bed I lay. One window shut, the other open stood, which gave such light as twinkles in a wood, like twilight glimpse at setting of the sun, or night being past and yet not day begun. Such light to shame-faced maidens must be shown, where they may sport and seem to be unknown. Then came Corina in a long, loose gown, her white neck hid with tresses hanging down, resembling fair Sereramus going to bed, or Laius of a thousand wooers sped. I snatched her gown, being thin, the harm was small, Yet strived she to be covered there withal, and striving thus as one that would be chaste, betrayed herself and yielded at the last, stark naked as she stood before mine eye. Not one when in her body could I spy. What arms and shoulders did I touch and see? How apt her breasts were to be pressed by me! How smooth a belly under her waist saw I, How large a leg and what a lusty thigh, To leave the rest all liked me passing well. I clinged her naked body, down she fell, Judge you the rest. Being tired she bade me kiss, Jove, send me more such afternoons as this. And that is In Summer's Heat by Ovid. And again, it's such a nice look at love. It's such a nice look at this fella thinking, what might it be? How might I meet someone like this? And I think that's a beautiful way to think about it. In any case, Ovid did not disappoint. This also moves, and I'll tell you why, into something that made me happy. This week, our magic movie moment. And this week, this has been, uh, remember, we'd like you to write in about these. A magic movie moment is something where you've seen a movie so many times. It could be the first time as well. But you've seen one so many times, 5, 10, 20 times, where you really know it. You know every line. You know every lighting technique. You know every turn of every actor in it. But there's one part one actor or actress who does something and there's part of a scene or just sends a look or accidentally does something that really moves you, that's something you remember every single time, and that really says a lot not only about that movie and about that story, but about what storytelling is and how and why we recreate these wonderful images in movies. That's what a magic movie moment is. And this time, for me, it's from... The Wizard of Oz, and there's really something. It's another movie made from a great era. I know I've mentioned this era before, but it needs to be said again. It's so wonderful to think of, what is that, 1939? That movie is from The Wizard of Oz. The truth is that it's from an era, and from all those years, from even the last 37, 38, 39, 40, 41 there were so many extraordinarily good movies made in those days. Not just Gone with the Wind or the original Robin Hood with Errol Flynn. It's just really wonderful, wonderful movies. And this one, The Wizard of Oz, 
and written by Frank Baum. The original story, I think, was the book by Frank Baum, which was made as a children's story. But boy, folks, as you ought to know, The Wizard of Oz is such a deep story for adults and for everyone who loves to think that way. And it's something, if you haven't seen it, see it. And by the way, everyone can, there are lots of people who haven't seen it. Find it and see it. And what comes to me as a magic movie moment is in The Wizard of Oz that everything in it, first of all, is characters you really care about. You really like them as people. And when the great Judy Garland, and she really deserves that word great before her, when the great Judy Garland starts to make that character of Dorothy and and her 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 parents well they're her really her guardians, Auntie M and is it Uncle Henry? And uh they're wonderful actors and they're so good and of course, well, Margaret Hamilton not only as the really rotten woman in it to start with who's really going to take her dog and to take Toto and she's complaining about everything and this is and that's the kind of woman you still even as much as you hate her in the movie you still like her because you think boy that actress is really playing this part and it, she doesn't go over the top with it she you just think i hate this woman she's really hateful and she steals that dog and she says, well, I'm going to this. I have a letter from this and the mayor said I could do this and the and the board said I could do this. And they're just, it's wonderful. It breaks Dorothy's heart and Auntie Em and Uncle Henry are really moved as well and they can't do anything to stop it. And then, of course, that same actress, Margaret Hamilton, becomes the Wicked Witch when Dorothy crosses over and goes into Oz. And the movie is just wonderful. This is not about... How good the movie is, I say, if you haven't seen it, oh, please find it and just watch it in the most languid, wonderful way, alone or with the kids. It's one of those that adults and kids just love together. And, oh, it's so wonderful. And when the music is great and the shooting is great, it also has that comes from that great time in Hollywood movies where... It wasn't overdone with special effects. It wasn't overdone with adding coloring and adding footage in, as they say, fixing it in post and, you know, putting things in, because that somehow still isn't the best to me. It's the way they made this is so, is so good. And what this means so much to me is that as Dorothy, the character, begins to realize what she loves and what she will stand up for and what she will look to save, and how much she wants to go home, when even this person, when they finally get back to the wizard, the great Frank Morgan, who was also in the part of it, he played a, oh, he played a kind of a, he had a tent and a and a wagon in the beginning of the movie, and uh, he's, what a great actor he was in so many ways, and he is the wizard. And when she says to him, the moment for me that always works, that is a magic movie moment, it's beautifully acted by Judy Garland. She doesn't go over the top with it when she realizes what well, what the wizard is saying, that he's not going to give them what they wanted. He, he was lying, and he's not going to get where they want to be. Then he's not going to send her home and send them all on their way with a, with a heart and, and a head and all the things they wanted. He's not going to do it. And she says, 
and she gets so hurt, but in a real way. She just can't believe that someone who said he was a good man turns out to not be a good man. And that leads to one of what I think is the greatest conclusions to a story, and I won't spoil it for you, of what happens at the end of her time in Oz and how it goes away and who comes back. But boy, I'll tell you, when you see Frank uh, Frank Morgan as Oz and you see him before and after as one of the fellows there who who really means it when he says, poor kid, I hope she's okay. And those moments in this movie of her being hurt by him not giving what they wanted, that's that's a magic movie moment for me, that scene, all of that scene. And it leads to, well, him describing for the fellas, for Bert Lahr and, and all the fellas there, what what he is going to tell them, what really means a lot in life. And by the way, here's a little st- story. I was just, that's absolutely true. I was uh, I was telling the colonel before that Buddy Ebsen, who, uh, of course, so many great parts. I just, how do you like that? Breakfast at Tiffany's comes into my head. He was in that. And uh, Buddy Epson, who has played uh, Jed Clampett in the Beverly Hillbillies, and so many great TV shows and movies, Buddy Epson was cast originally as the Tin Man. He was the Tin Man. He was going to be the Tin Man. And Hollywood being what it is, the <laughs> same things happen today in a way. He, the first, as they were going to start shooting the movie that first week, they put him in oh, well, the Tin Man outfit, the armor and the the cylinder there, and all the things, and the hat and the gloves, and they put they put the the all the makeup on him, the silver things on the face, and the and the eyes and the hair and the back and the front and the, the hands and, but whatever was in that stuff sent him to the hospital. That stuff, God only knows what that stuff was in in the late 1930s in Hollywood. As the colonel said, it was probably someone in makeup just saying, well, I have this white cream. If we put on these silver flakes in it, it turns it silver. Well, you know what? That's what they did. And uh, Buddy Epson went to the hospital. His life was saved, of course. And thank God he was fine. But he had to spend several weeks in the hospital. And he couldn't make this movie. And that's when, was it Jack Haley? I can't remember. who The, the fine actor who did such a great job as the Tin Man. and uh, But that's when he came in and the movie started filming. And that's one of those moments that, in another kind of way, is a magic movie moment. Because Buddy Epson didn't just jump off a cliff. That's what happens in Hollywood. That's what happens sometimes. But, uh, Jack Haley, I think it is. I saw the name Haley on the poster. That, the, Yeah, Jack Haley, by golly. He was so good in that when he, he used to say, now I, now I know I don't have a heart because if I did, it would be breaking. He, they were all so good in that. But in a, in a way, that's another magic movie moment because it's for Buddy Epson not to be able to do the part. He just went on and got other work and had a fabulous life and career. And especially as an actor and someone creative like that, and, well, Lord knows, that movie, though, is so good, so awfully good. And the part that's the magic movie moment for me 
is when we see this good, good young woman, Dorothy, who played, of course, by Judy Garland, when she really shows how much she cares and how much it hurts her and how much she's willing to stand up to someone who said he was going to do one thing and then did something else. I hope that works up the same way for you there. And this becomes, in a way, a real sadness because I don't know still what I'm going to do about this. That is, I messed up Mother's Day. I just messed up on Mother's Day. We just had Mother's Day, and we had a plan that my wife wanted to do. She wanted to see the movie Gatsby, and then we'd all go out to uh, dinner afterwards with uh, the two of us and the kids, and I messed up because I didn't get her anything. I didn't get her anything for Mother's Day. And that was unacceptable. And, you know, as I've told you, I was in, hey, last year on Mother's Day, I was, uh, I missed that Mother's Day too, but that was because I was in the hospital from walloping my head and my brain. And my wife spent that with the kids who were very nice, and they got her some nice flowers, and they got her nice cards, and they wrote something very sweet in the cards. These are things that, well, that's something you want on Mother's Day if you're a mother. And, well, I, I didn't get her anything this year. It's no excuse for that. There's no excuse, and I didn't press the kids to I didn't say, hey, let's go out now, and let's take an hour, and we'll go to a flower shop now. We'll do something now. In fact, I used to get her when, you know, on the, all the holidays and birthdays and anniversaries, if, if, I, if, I, if I were on the road, I would always send... Uh, the ones by by mail, by post, by sending the flowers that come in the box. I don't want to say which company it is because they do a terrific job. The, the, the truth is that I used to send her those flowers, and finally she disliked them because she said, you know what, by the way, stop sending me those even if you're not home because I don't need a box of flowers that come and sort of a the lower-grade vase that she was getting or that I got for her. And this year, though, when I didn't send anything, she said, you know, she turned around on it and, and just said, you know what, you could have at least sent the flowers in the box. And I realized, well, I could have. So I don't even know what's going to happen now. But I messed up on Mother's Day. How can, you, how can you explode Mother's Day like that? And I was, by the way, so everything that I was in for, which was the whole thing, when we went afterwards to get a bite to eat, she was having a great time with the kids, and the kids were having a great time with her. And then every so often, she'd shoot me a look like a panther. And so you know what? The truth is, the, the colonel said to me, well, what are you going to do when you go home after the show? And the truth is, I don't know. I really don't know. And uh, I can't stop and get her something, because she already said, don't stop and get me something. And as the colonel knew and the doctor knew, it, no matter what you do, you're, you're lost at that point. You're dead anyway. If you do nothing, you're dead. If you do something, then you get the, oh, why didn't you do this yesterday? So whatever you do, you've lost. That's something you don't want to mess up on a Mother's Day. I remember my mom, God bless her, she had the greatest Mother's Day. 
I know that she did. I don't know what she talked about with my dad or if they ever argued. I He was always very sweet in getting her things. And, well, I used to get her things, little things that kids love to get that you really don't quite understand. My kids now have two of the little wooden chests, tiny, tiny things that are made like the branch of a tree. And uh, there's sort of a thick branch, and they have little drawers that come out, so they're hollowed out. I remember I got that for my mom when I was 10 or 11 years old. Whenever it was, it was 2 or $3, but they were made well enough that it lasted. So now there are two of them, and one is in each kid's room. Well, it's not the end of the world, but it's nice to know those are still there, and it's nice to know that whatever I did for my mom, whatever my sister did, we always cooked for her on Mother's Day. I talk about this in my act as well. It's the truth. We'd cook for Mom. We'd say, Mom, we go, today we cook for you. We'd wake her up early on a Sunday morning and uh, on Mother's Day. And you right off the bat, why wake her up early? The poor woman's finally sleeping. Leave her alone. And uh, we'd say, Mom, wake up, Mom. She'd do that mother wake up. Who's what? 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 Who's sick? What? What's wrong? No, nothing's wrong. Today we cook for you. We're going to cook for you. You don't have to cook for anybody, and we're going to cook for you. And every year, she would do the same thing. Her face would drop, and she'd say, Oh, no, please. Please don't, honey. Please don't, because it's it's very bad when you do that. Then it, it it's the, the food is bad, and it makes a huge, fiery mess. So please don't do that. But you know what? It wound up being okay, because even after 12 hours of pots hitting the floor, you could bring her a cup of horrible coffee, and she would say, you know what, thank you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. But it's a good holiday. I know it came up somewhere in in 1880, I suppose, or something like that. But you know what? I'm glad it came up, and I just wish I had done it better with my wife. And uh, when I get home after this show, if I go home, and if I don't instead enlist in the French Foreign Legion... And play it that way. Well, you know what? Especially this year, especially after her taking care of me and having uh, having been sick the whole last year, well, I should have done it better. And by the way, if you're a friend of my wife's, don't tell her this was on now because that's happened before on the show and she would either go to work or get a call from one of her friends and say, oh, I Larry talking about you and... And then I'm I'm already dead, so that, that that can't kill me any worse. Please don't do that, though. And I'll I'll let you know what happens. Uh, well, what, I guess what happens next week. Don't mess up on Mother's Day like that, because I realized it's another case of how spoiled we've all gotten, and we have gotten spoiled. And there's no shame to that, and that's a big theme for me. It's it's a big theme because I had an audition for uh, a part in a voiceover in a cartoon before I came to the show here today. And, well, for that audition, I had to park on the street, which is fine, of course, and put some money in a meter. And it's been very hot here in Southern California, and very, very hot, but very, very, very hot. It's still not Iraq, but, I mean, it's very, very, very hot. And just the 100 feet crossing one small street and just walking down 50 feet to the car and then going into this building that's, of course, air-conditioned, just that walk after the audition 
when you open the door to that building and walk out again, just that walk is the hardest thing to do in the world because we're spoiled, and that's what happens to you. You look at that car, which is just across a tiny street and 50 feet down, and you think, I can't do it. Why do I have to do things like this? I can't do it. Now, luckily, by the way, I'm not out of my mind, and so you realize you smile and you laugh at yourself because you think, how do you like that? It's just me being spoiled. The colonel had a similar thing happen. Somebody was having a party, a birthday party on his block, and he, you know what? He had to park after his big workout, walk-run, through Griffith Park that he does all the time, and he had to park, well, five or six houses down from his own house, and it was the same kind of hot. It was very hot. It was horrible hot. And he felt the same thing. Well, why does this have to happen to me? Why do I have to walk this extra five houses to get to mine? But the same thing, he laughed because he realized this was just after he did a five-mile jog through Griffith Park, and it was 110 degrees there. So as long as you can realize, well, you know what? It still doesn't matter that much. It's still, As long as you can laugh at yourself, well, you know what? You might just get your wife something for Mother's Day when you forget about it. So, as always, remember, if you walked out of bed today and had a job to go to and a home to come back to and someone there who cares about you, folks, the game's over and you've won. That's the truest thing I know, and still and always. I hope your home is happy, and I hope we see you here next week. Bye-bye. No horses were injured in making this show that we know about.